passage this evening comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 37, and that can be found on page 810 of the Church Bibles. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Well, thank you, Josie. And a thank you to Craig and to our musicians and to Ian uh, for leading us um, in our prayers. Now, how can we live distinctively as Christians? That's a big theme in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 to 7, the so-called Sermon on the Mount. He preached uh, that uh, sermon. Here's how. I'm going to use an old hymn to answer that question. How can we live distinctively? What must we do? I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. That's how we live distinctively as Christians, stoop down and drink and live. Humility before the Lord Jesus and his word Humility before the Lord Jesus on his cross, where he bled and died so that you and I might be declared righteous, and where he bled and died so that you and I might be made righteous. The Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, making me a new person, changing me through Jesus' word from the inside out, supernaturally, wonderfully, fearfully, and gloriously. And so tonight, as we listen to Jesus' teaching, stoop down and drink and live. We come to Jesus and drink of the life-giving stream that our thirst be quenched that our souls revived, for now we live in him. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray first that we would be thirsty and hungry. Oh, that we would be thirsty as we sit at the feet of Jesus, our teacher, and have our thirst quenched. Oh, that we would be hungry as we sit at the feet of Jesus, our teacher, and have our hunger satisfied. 
For we pray in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Now, there are some headings on the service sheet that will help you. Firstly, salt and light. The metaphors that Jesus uses in his sermon recorded for us here in Matthew 5 to 7. The metaphors that Jesus uses for living distinctively as Christians and as a church are salt and light. Now, we've looked at these before. Just let's read them again. Just take a moment. 13. You are, this is you and me as Christians, you are the salt of the earth. Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, you must be. You are. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. What an extraordinary statement that is. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, you who are the light of the world, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are, we are told to live distinctively because we are distinctive. We are salt and we are light. So be salt, be who you are, be light, be who you are. How? Now, this is a massively important question and a massively important answer. One of the most important things we'll learn as we study this section of Matthew's gospel is how we can be salt and light. Now, here's how. Jesus' purpose in his sermon, recorded in Matthew 5 to 7, is to hold up or to set before us a bar. See the, the, the lighting bar up there? It's a high bar that Jesus sets before us. And that bar is the law of God. So Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, and this is the context for what he says tonight in all the practical stuff. Here's the context. Do not think... You people that I have said are salt and light, do not think, don't get confused, don't think that I have come, Jesus says, to abolish the law that sets that high bar up there. I have not come to abolish all of that, I've come to fulfill it. For I tell you, verse 20, let's just push the bar up a little higher Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. And the conclusion, just glance forward to verse 48. 
And that is a proper high bar. You therefore. And he's, he's speaking directly to his followers, to his disciples. You therefore. The people that I am telling are salt and light must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what on earth is going on? What's going on is this. Jesus is making us look at the moral perfection of God the Creator, the high bar, and saying to us, if you think you are somehow above reproach when it comes to the law of God, think again. And therefore, the essence of the Christian faith is not, here is the bar, you must reach it. And if you don't, you don't stand a chance. The essence of the Christian faith, rather, is here is the bar and we have failed. We cannot reach it. Stop climbing. Stop trying to. Stop pursuing that dead end. Instead, turn to Jesus and the route to righteousness that he offers. What is that? Well, that is verses 3 to 10 of chapter 5. A conscious, this is poor in spirit, what's the way to be salt, to be light, to be righteous, to have a conscious unworthiness before a holy God and the beautiful truth of knowing that I am forgiven, the poor in spirit. Or those who mourn, deeply humble, submissive to God in a reverent, appropriate way, servant-hearted. What is the way to be salt, to be light? It is to hunger and thirst for righteousness that is given to you and put into you through Jesus Christ. To hunger and thirst for the life-giving nourishment of God's Word. That's the way to be salt, to be light, to stoop down and drink and live. Now, Distinctiveness is then described in a number of different areas in Jesus' sermon. We've already looked at anger and lust. Tonight, marriage and truthfulness. Let's consider marriage first, verses 31 to 32. Let's read it again. It was also said, this is Jesus preaching, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced person commits adultery. Now, reading that, we might think it is about divorce, 
And it is, but in the context of Matthew 5 to 7. And we need to understand the context to understand what and why Jesus is saying here about divorce. The context in Matthew, which is about living distinctively as Christians, as salt and light, suggests that the issue Jesus addressing is an attitude or approach to divorce that undermines the importance, the worth of marriage in the sight of God. And not just in the culture, but in the religious community of Jesus' day. Now, just consider the backdrop, marriage. What is God's design for marriage and creation? Genesis 1 describes God's creation of humanity in his image, male and female. In other words, two genders representing the image of God. Genesis 2 describes how these two genders come together in marriage as a picture of God's love within the world he made. So here's Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is a public commitment. A man shall leave his father and mother. Marriage is a permanent commitment. They shall hold fast. Marriage is an intimate commitment. They shall become one flesh. And that is a picture of God's permanent, public, intimate love for the world. That is what it looks like for God to love us. That's creation. And what about in redemption, the rescue through Jesus? Well, again, the public, permanent, and intimate nature of marriage is a picture of Jesus' public, permanent, and intimate relationship with his church, spoken of as his bride. Now listen to Genesis 2 and think of the movement of Christ from glory to earth to indwell you. Therefore a man shall leave his father and hold fast to his wife, his bride, the church, and they shall become one flesh. Now, what's behind Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 5 and his, his, his caution, his, his saying to his disciples, look, If we're going to speak about divorce and, and the occasions that sometimes it, it just, it is permissible. It's breaking marriage. Now in a culture then and today, which is a very different view of marriage from God's view, Christian distinctiveness in this area is so vital and never 
more than now in our lifetimes, mine at least. Why is it so vital? Not because God created marriage, which he did, but because marriage is God's picture of his public, permanent, and intimate love for this world. And of his public, permanent, and intimate redemption of this world through Christ and his church. Now come back with that background to what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Jesus is referring to Deuteronomy 21, where the law of Moses, you'll see the quote in the Bible, where the law of Moses permitted divorce in very specific circumstances of, and the word is indecency, and in such cases, a certificate of divorce could be issued. And that was permitted in the law, the law of God, Moses' law. And what the Pharisees, the ruling Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day had done was taken that word in decency and twisted it to include all sorts of things. And I could give you a long list of the things that they said were covered by that. What does Jesus say? Verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, summing that up, the only context where divorce is permissible is adultery, and teaching elsewhere in the New Testament, remember Jesus is speaking to his followers here. He's not speaking to the culture, although they're listening in. He's saying here that the only context where divorce is permissible is adultery. And teaching elsewhere in the New Testament permits divorce where there is desertion, either through abandonment or abuse. And where divorce is permissible in these contexts, remarriage is permissible. And as a church here, that would be our understanding of what the Bible teaches on divorce. Now, who is preaching here? Jesus. Who is he? Is he a Pharisee? He is the good shepherd who says this knowing that when it is preached by a sinful preacher to people. He knows this. Let me just run through what he knows. He taught this knowing that there would be Christians listening tonight 
who are divorced and for reasons that the Bible does not permit. He is your loving shepherd. And it may be that what he teaches cuts to your heart. And all of us are sinners, and as we work through Jesus' sermon, there will be areas in our lives where we are deeply convicted. It might not be here, but it will be somewhere. And remember Jesus' intent as our shepherd that we come to that posture in our hearts or come back to it that is what? Poverty of spirit. Mourning over sin, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So if Jesus' word has cut somebody here in this room or listening to the heart because you are party to a divorce and a Christian that is not permitted by Jesus, this is what he says to you. Well, this is what you hear because he is your shepherd mixed in with his words that may convict you and cut you to the heart. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. Jesus taught these things as our shepherd knowing there will be people who have been terribly hurt by spouses who have committed adultery. Some will be separated or divorced. Some will still be married to their spouses, perhaps with wonderful healing or perhaps not. What do you hear from Jesus tonight? I heard the voice of Jesus. Behold, I freely give. Stoop down and drink and live. Perhaps you're in a very difficult situation in a marriage where you are being wronged or you are wronging. Talk to someone tonight in confidence. Talk to them and together talk to God. And to those who are married and perhaps as a spouse, you have neglected your spouse. Not in a way that is even close to adultery, but where our job has become more important than our marriage or our career, or our self-fulfillment, or our pride. Do not neglect your marriage. Love and value your spouse. Look on your marriage as highly as God looks on your marriage. And go home tonight and sit down together and think, what did we hear from Jesus? Behold, I freely give. Stoop and drink and live.
to all of us in the church and lots of you youngies. And you'll not be young for nearly as long as you think. Pre, because you're part of this church family. And if you are single, and that is God's call on your life for now, marriage and singleness are on a par. One is not better than the other, they're just different. But let's, as a church, pray for the protection of marriages. And while our culture values marriage less and less, as Christians, as churches, we hold it in high regard, seeing it as God sees it. A picture of his public, permanent, and intimate love for us. Little wasp distraction. Now, really briefly on truthfulness. Now, let me just lay this marker down. Being brief on this is simply because you cannot rush through the verses before. But this is so important. Let me simply explain what Jesus is teaching, and I'll not show you the workings. Very happy to sit down afterwards and walk you through that. Verse 33 is about promises made to God. Don't make them lightly. That's what it says. Verses 34 to 36 take us into the arena of promises in general. The background here is that the Pharisees had, as one writer puts it, it's a great quote, erected scaffolding around the concept of plain speech. (laughs) Great, isn't it? Such that a person is bound or not bound by, by the precise wording that is used. It's like when you're in a conversation with someone and they're way smarter than you. They can run rings around you. They can play with words. They can spin the truth. They say things like, I never meant that. I didn't say that. I don't know where you got that from. You didn't understand what I was saying. Now, verse 37 is the key, and it's plain as day to understand. Here's a great principle to live by. Let your... Uh, Let me say what it says, not what I think it says. Let what you say be simply yes or no. It's not just integrity and truthfulness, it's simplicity and clarity. (coughs) Speak the truth always. That does not mean be blunt or rude or insensitive. It means don't tell lies. Don't mislead people. Don't exaggerate. Don't be smart. 
Truth is of God. Lies are of the devil. That's what it says. Truth matters to Jesus. Jesus knew no deceit and no sin was found on his lips. And as a culture distances itself from Jesus, truth becomes the casualty. What an important area for distinctiveness in uni or in work or in any realm we are in to be men and women of truth and plainness and in the church and in the church. So vital. How liberating is that? Were we to have an audio recording or a transcript of every word we have spoken, where do we stand? Kind of in a mess, I suspect. Where do we stand against? Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from me. Whose side are you on? Now, here's, here's where the, the rubber hits the road. What are we going to do? Are we going to reach up for the bar? Or are we going to stoop down and drink and live in the habitat of poverty of spirit, the habitat of mourning over sin, the habitat of weakness, in the habitat of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Now, we're nearly done. When the Lord Jesus humbles us, through his word as he has me, as he always does with us preachers. When Jesus, part of the reason he does that is that we're just kind of living illustrations of what's happening. When Jesus humbles us through his word, were he not a good shepherd... His word would break us. The truth is, it makes us. Just glance back to verses 3 to 10 of chapter 5. What does Jesus say to those who are humbled, who stop reaching up, and who come down and kneel down at the feet of Jesus and are rendered poor in spirit and mourners and weak and hungry and thirsty for righteousness, what does Jesus say to such? Yours is the kingdom of heaven, and you will be comforted. You will inherit the cosmos. You shall be satisfied you shall receive mercy. You shall see God. You shall be called sons of God or inheritors of God with Jesus. Some of that is, much of that is not yet, but it's promised and guaranteed to us. And there's one more thing that transforms this from if any of us were saying this stuff, we'd just be broken and we'd go home broken and the Lord Jesus will not have us go home broken because he's our shepherd. Eight times he says, you are blessed 
blessed, 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 blessed. What does that mean? You are highly favored by Almighty God. Let's pray. How can we live distinctively as Christians? I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water thirsty one stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched. My soul revived. And now I live in him. Our loving Heavenly Father, we prayed that sitting at the feet of Jesus, our teacher, our thirst would be quenched and our hunger satisfied. Thank you for answering that prayer for me. And we pray for many of us. And now we pray that we would stoop down before Jesus on his cross, where he bled and died so that we might be declared righteous, forgiven, and made righteous through the person of the Spirit indwelling us and changing us through Jesus' word. It all flows from the cross. Everything comes back to the cross on which the Prince of Glory, your Son, died. And we pray now that as we come to the cross, our richest gain we'd count as loss, that our pride would be broken, that we would boast in nothing other than his death, and that our sinful affections, our sinful likes, inclinations, and desires that are still within us and will be to the grave and to glory when they will be gone, that now tonight as we come to the cross, our sinful affections, likes, inclinations, and desires would be overwhelmed through our new affection in Jesus. Raise our affections in Christ for him and the life we have in him through his death. Raise our affections as we bow down, stoop down at the foot of his cross, undone by mercy and overwhelmed by his great love. For Jesus' sake.